Well, good evening, church. Welcome again. It's Wednesday night. Time for our little devotional time working through Mark's gospel. Close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. I was thinking, looking at tonight's study, if you weren't working through the whole book, what most uh, studies would probably do would be to eliminate the two things that we're looking at tonight. And especially in a brief sort of devotional study, Jesus, uh, the end of Mark 9 and into Mark 10, we're looking at two subjects tonight, believe it or not, hell, what Jesus said about hell, and then divorce, what Jesus said about divorce. That's just where Mark lands us tonight. So let's start with uh, point number one and the warnings that we have from the lips of Jesus about sin and hell. It's in Mark 9, 43 to 50. Hope you have a Bible. Let's study together. Jesus says, and if your hand causes you to sin, so sin is the subject here, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown, now it's thrown, into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So notice, he's talking about two entry points here. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. There's the kingdom of God, there's hell. And Jesus seems to talk about entry into one, quite literally, entering into the kingdom of God. And so one would assume entry into hell would be an equal equivalent in the opposite direction. Better for you, 47, to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Those are the two options. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, where everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I have three or four thoughts that I want to look at here. First, before we look at hell specifically, Jesus talks about how to deal with sin and temptation. So this would be point number one, A. How to deal with sin and temptation. I see that in those words in 42 to 47, uh, cutting off the, the hand, the foot, plucking out the eye. What does Jesus mean? And I think what he's saying, he's talking about sin here. And if, if I'm going to deal uh, victoriously, win over sin, I have to deal with uh, the temptation to sin at its very earliest point when it, when it makes its sort of sensual appeal to the body at the point of seeing, the point of handling, the point of going with the feet. So b before I look, before I touch, before I go, Jesus is saying this is, this is the time you have to deal with temptation. So it's, it's, it's not really so much of, who has the strongest willpower. It's really a matter of who has the best sense of timing. That if, that if you don't deal with sin at its very first promptings, 
you know, the, the, the time when it's easiest just to say it's not a big deal, I haven't done anything, that the very first prompting, if you don't deal with it then, you're kidding yourself if you think that somewhere farther down in the temptation process, you're going to turn things around and back out. Not very likely. And so it's, you, you don't just pray about this. You don't just think about this. At the very first point of temptation, that's where you deal with it the most ruthlessly. Take whatever steps you have to take. Okay, so B, under point number one. So why these strong words about sin? I mean, really, uh, cutting off the hand, cutting off the foot, plucking out the eye. These are not light expressions. Why is sin such a big deal? And that's now into 1B. There are eternal issues at stake. I see that in verse 44, verse 46, and verse 48. Jesus talks about hell those three times. Entrance into the kingdom, entrance into hell. They're two equal realities in the description that Jesus gives here. So we talk a lot about being saved. Um, Jesus would talk a lot about what we're saved from. Hell is a, is a real place. I need to say this. Hell is, you know, whatever those descriptions mean, and granted, we aren't told everything we'd like to know. But hell is a, a real place. It is not, it is not just um, the passive results of the sin we get into. So hell is rooted in the wrathful judgment of God. Hell is not just reaping what you sow. So you, you get this horrible, horrible life of pain and misery. That might be true when you deviate from God's will and God lets us do that. But that's not the judgment Jesus is talking about here. That's the kind of judgment Paul starts talking about in Romans 1, where God gave them over to these desires, gave them over to certain sins. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about not just hell in the sense of the reaping what we sow in difficult lives. He's talking about a, a place. I don't know how one can deny the actual reality of hell and yet cling to the reality of a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth when both are described as eternal realities from the lips of Jesus. Jesus also says hell is a place of suffering and punishment. I know that these are hard words. How literally are we to take all these descriptions of hell in, in the Bible? Is the fire of hell the same as we know of fire on earth? Well, I don't think so. Um, that kind of fire eats up and just burns everything, whereas Jesus talks about some element of eternal suffering. How do huge volumes of fire and outer darkness exist at the same time? So, so clearly, there's, there's somewhat pictorial language, but it's not pleasant pictorial language. So, so whatever Jesus is trying to describe, it's like the words he uses, only worse. The next thing I think is obvious here is the punishment of hell is, it seems to be unending. 
So it's not, it's not just that hell itself as a place lasts forever. It's, it's the inhabitants. Here's where I get this, and you put some, some verses together. I hope you have a Bible, and you can link these texts, because I think they say a lot. Revelation 20, 7 to 10. When the thousand years are completed, the millennium, and I'm not getting into that whole topic right now, but when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, or everybody thinks they know what these nations are, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay, all of that. Now listen to these words. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. Now, they were thrown there, however you interpret the millennium, they were thrown there earlier, for sure, because they're already there. Beast, false prophet, they're in hell. Satan thrown into hell. So that's uh, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. Listen, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So at least Satan, the beast, the false prophet, clearly, undisputably, they are going to be tormented, not annihilated. They're going to be tormented forever and ever and ever. We'll say, Pastor John, big deal. That's not talking about us. That's talking about Satan, the beast, and the false prophet being tormented forever. What's your point? Here's my point. Look at Matthew 25, 41. Jesus does something Very significant here. People debate the parable and they miss the point at the end of it. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, listen, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. What fire are you talking about, Jesus? The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, we know from what we just read in Revelation, the beast, the false prophet, Satan, we know they're cast into hell, that lake of fire, and they're going to be tormented forever and ever. Jesus says to these on his left, I'm not getting into all of of who they are and how they got there. There are people. They're human beings. And Jesus says, cast into hell to this place, the same place prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus locks in eternal punishment to the place where Satan, the beast, and the false prophet are clearly stated to be facing eternal punishment. The other text that's interesting is, it's an Old Testament text, Daniel 12, 2. The prophet speaking of many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. Okay, so that's dead bodies. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, clearly, this relates to that earlier point I made. You listen to uh, Greg Boyd, Brian Zahn, and a host of others 
the idea being that hell is, you create this hell of a life on earth through sin, and, and God lets that happen, and that's the wrath of God. No, this is something clearly that happens when these bodies are raised, those that sleep in the dust of the earth, to everlasting righteousness and everlasting shame. So it's, it's not just the results of our sin that's being talked about, because this is post this earthly life. And there's, there's suffering. Interesting topic. And, and you know, it, it's, the church never talks about it much anymore. Jesus talked about it more than anyone else in the New Testament. And it's helpful, I think, just to link some of those verses together to get a bit of a feeling of the perspective that our Lord taught. Now, the other tough subject tonight, marriage and divorce, starting in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and let's just look at 12 verses, okay? The first 12 verses. And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him. They're not interested in gaining information. They're not searching for truth. They're out to mess up Jesus. And the Pharisees came and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they want to see what he's going to say, trying to pin him down. He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they says, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, sin, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... Okay, so Jesus says, here's what you have to look at. If you want to think rightly about marriage, what marriage is about, what it's like, and divorce, you have to go back to creation. It's in creation, Jesus says. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's the first thing. You have, away forever with this nonsense. It gets spoken of over and over again that Jesus didn't say anything about about homosexual relationships or same-sex marriage. That's nonsense. Jesus very clearly says, let me tell you how God created marriage. So he's addressing that subject. Let me tell you the kind of relationship God designed as a pattern. And Jesus says the pattern sticks. That's the point Jesus is making. That marriage is heterosexual. It's fundamentally heterosexual. One man, one woman. That's how Jesus addresses the subject. Don't deviate from this pattern. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. That's what he's saying to us. This is not to be tinkered with. This is God's design. Don't deviate from the pattern. That's the whole point of Jesus' words. Six, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him, they asked Jesus again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife, so there's a, a he in there, and marries another commits adultery against her, he, her. And if she, that's a she, divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it's clearly Jesus he says it's, it's, a, it's a he and a she from creation. This is God's pattern. Don't deviate 
from this. There's all sorts of deviations, multiple partners, serial relationships, same-sex relationships. He, he, he doesn't list every possible option. He just says, don't deviate from this. This is the way marriage is in God's eyes. So that's the first point under this second subject. A, God's original intention. It was a big concern in the mind of Jesus. The, the Pharisees wanted to pit, nitpick, and Jesus goes right to the big picture. To capture God's heart about marriage, you have to go back to creation. Jesus clearly says that God never intended divorce. It was a concession. It was a concession due to human sin. And so somehow there have to be parameters when human sin breaks up relationships. There have to be some standards of, of protection, something recognizable. But it was never God's intention. The next thing I see here is divorce is not, it's not the unpardonable sin. I've been divorced. I must approach Christ like any other sinner. People always ask me, Pastor Don, see the community church. You know, I've 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 been divorced. I'm I'm in a I'm in a same sex relationship. I'm considering an abortion. I'm, are these people welcome in the church? Everyone is welcome in the church in exactly the same way. Everyone is welcome in the church in exactly the same way. Everyone is welcome to come and say, I'm a sinner. I need to repent and follow Jesus. That's how we're all welcome in the body of Christ. So when you say, is so-and-so welcome at Cedarview? You need to understand what the word welcome means. Can everybody just come here and, and live however they want? No. Is everyone welcome? We're all welcome as sinners to come, repent, follow Jesus. That's what we all do here together. Let me just say a couple other things from this passage. If I've been divorced and remarried, God doesn't expect me or want me to leave my present partner and go back to my first partner. It's really interesting the way this gets talked about in John chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. John 4, 16 to 18. Jesus and this this woman, uh, he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to him, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you, you have had five husbands. And the one you now have, we know what that means. The one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. So Jesus doesn't say this woman has had, you know, uh, five adulterous relationships and only one husband, the first one. He doesn't say that. The relationship I'm in now needs to be made to work on God's terms. Next, if I'm single, I must make sure that any plans for marriage will only be with believers. I get that from 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership? What ongoing partnership can there be between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? On the biggest commitments of your life, be united with your spouse. And I need to say one more thing. If I am married to an unbeliever, lots of times you have two people, one comes to Christ, the other hasn't yet. 
Those kind of situations abound in the body of Christ. If I'm married to an unbeliever, I must be the one to work hardest to make the marriage work. That's one thing. And secondly, if there is a separation, I must be the one to keep the door for restoration open as long as possible. I get those thoughts from Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 16. Paul says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord. He means that Jesus didn't give him these teachings specifically. Doesn't mean they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, okay, that's what we're talking about. A brother, the wife's an unbeliever. And she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So the believing partner, don't you back out of this. You make this work. 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of the husband. Every good influence that's going to come to the unbelieving partner is going to come through that believing spouse. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, so a believer, an unbeliever, the unbeliever says, that's it. You and your goofy religion, I can't stand it. I am out of here. I'm leaving. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. You don't have to feel condemnation and guilt because your unbelieving spouse said, that's it, I'm divorcing you, I'm, I'm out of here. God has called you to peace. Why does the believing partner have to stay as long as possible? Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? And husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? So as the Christian partner, always, I have the greater burden, the greater responsibility, not to leave, not to back out, to make it work. If they leave, I can't stop them. Fine, don't, don't live the rest of your life under condemnation. You're free, you're, you're at peace, he says. But as long as you can, stay there because how do you know that you're eventually your influence? It might take time is going to win that one to the Lord. One last thing. Marriage is not for everybody. You get this in Matthew, Matthew 19, where divorce and remarriage is discussed. And the disciples, you can imagine, the disciples said to Jesus, in such a case, of a man with a wife, it's better not to marry. This is, this, is a, this is a tall order. It's a big demand. Better not to marry. Verse 11, but he, Jesus, said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Don't get bogged down with all that. Here's the idea. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Not, everyone's, not everyone is going to get married. Not everyone is for marriage. And, and, and we must never treat singles as though somehow they've missed God's best. It is not the case. God has a special calling for many people. Paul, Paul calls uh, this the gift that God has given him. He does that in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. So singleness is not incompleteness. Don't ever think of it that way. Love Christ more than you love the idea of marriage. Every gift that comes from God is good and filled with his meaning and with his purpose. What a study, eh? 
to go through on a midweek devotional, hell, divorce, and remarriage. Let's pray. Your word speaks truth. Your word sometimes speaks demanding truth and uncomfortable truth, but it always comes with your grace and your spirit to hearts that are willing to receive it. Keep us grounded in the truth of your word, all of it. Help us to, to read scripture with scripture. Help us not to be swayed by, by uh, popular distortions, deletions, reinterpretations. But as much as possible, Holy Spirit, take the truth of your word planted in our hearts. We're grateful for this opportunity to study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget, Sunday morning, continuing with keeping your joy from uh, an isolated prisoner. We're working our way through the book of uh, Philippians here right in the sanctuary, 10 o'clock, or live streaming, but join us. And then Sunday night at 6.30, as always, we have church online, and uh, we're finishing the book of Romans, starting into chapter 15. God bless you, church. Stay in the word and love one another.